And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. So on today's episode, uh, we are going to be talking the original idea here, as submitted by you. I think this idea originally came from Jared, uh, I believe, Larry. Um, I think so, yes. This idea of adjusting to a new normal. What does that mean? How can Star Trek help us to understand that? Um, or at least that's what we thought this episode was going to be about. We'll, we'll see what direction. A little spoilers for those of you who are looking up here at the title. That's not the direction we're going in, and we'll, we'll talk about why. Well, uh, yes. Well, we sat, we sit down to plan the show. That was, that's what won the polls this week. Although we should point out that we were never like, totally ennobled by the polls but they're always a good uh, sign we um the new normal we very quickly thought what are we in a new normal or are we <laughs> are we at the next plateau in the ladder or the stairwell or are we still on the stairs so uh larry i'm gonna poke you a little bit so you can move over we're getting some oh. feedback that people will... Uh, there you go that's nice that's, there we go that's thank nice. you and yes folks brand Hello. new song I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we're getting we're getting some pretty good feedback about the song. Thank you, Zahir. Uh, thank you, Jared. Uh, yeah. Scott. Yeah, it feels like the all, uh, music in Tomorrowland. <laughs> um, or the the music from Soren at Disney. So we got a, a lot of Disney fans in, in the comment thread. Um, yeah, it took us a while to figure that out, and we are slowly um, we're slowly building up to releasing this podcast. So that was a big step for us. It's it's along the way. Libby says, if one is a real doctor, is the other an emergency holographic doctor? <laughs> <laughs> We can't be an EMH because we both have names, right, Larry? Right, right, right. And neither one of mine is Zimmerman or or Cthulhu or Sulik or whatever his name was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, the original Doctor on Voyager, right? Who never never really got a name. Oh wow! Well, well, yeah. If we well, yes, we had a great Portal Forty Seven story about that this week. But uh, yes, never got a name. Never got a dinner, and never got a name. <laughs> Um, all right, so Larry, the, the original idea was to talk about um, adjusting to a new normal, mm -hmm. and, and right. um, with that, I think we should probably jump into um, our briefing room and let's let's talk about this. This is our first. <laughs> so, segment. if we're not saying exactly new normal, what are we saying? Well, the quite you and I spent a lot of time talking about this in our pre-show. Mm -hmm. um, or our planning show, whatever. Uh, it's a show that only you and I see, whatever that is. Um, we can sell tickets to that one. Oh, yeah. I don't know if anyone's going to buy those tickets. The, <laughs> we started debating, well, are we in a new normal? 
is the new normal a unknown and just constantly changing that's the new normal have we left a phase of uh the coronavirus in this world that we are in are we entering a new phase and we couldn't really come up with any clear answers about that because it it all kind of depends where you are not only geographically but where you are in your life um it's a very hard question to answer well, I think the the basic – and by the way, everybody, thanks for being in the chat. We will get around to everybody. We're actually still in three platforms. Facebook is where most of the chat is, just so you know. Uh, Twitchers, if you've actually stumbled in by now, you'll see we're not talking to you, but we're not ignoring you either. <laughs> so we'll get to the main part of our chat too, and I want to keep up with what everybody is saying here. So feel free to jump in there, and even later on in the show, as always, you can Skype in with us at Life Support Live Host when we get to hailing frequencies. But we have a briefing room to uh, discuss here before we get to the counselor's log and even some away mission tips for you. And yes, somebody's already mentioned it. The K3 factor for today is all coming up. But no, we what guided our thinking was that, guys and gals, is that if we talk about adjusting to a new normal, then that almost sounds like the arrogance of assuming that right now is the new normal when we could have another two or three heaven forbid, 47 shades of normal to come. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, Larry, we started this episode, this series uh, about 11 weeks ago now, and um, so much has changed since then. And in some ways, so much has not changed. Um, You know, we live in the United States, and we're... Where you and we live in California, and um, you're down in Southern, and I'm here up in Northern California. And where you are in the United States um, really has a big impact in how you are experiencing the world right now. And if you look at the United States compared to other countries, there are very big differences in what your daily reality is like. So we had a very hard time trying to talk about adjusting to a new normal um, because I don't think we're quite in one yet. However, once we started Digging down. And there is a period of time for all of those of you who are interested in Larry and my process. There is, uh, we talk and we usually, um, we have, uh, we're, we're very punny with each other. We like our puns. And then we have this five minute period where we're talking about what are we going to talk about this week? And then we have about a 30 minute period of complete despair. Oh my gosh, there's no Star Trek episodes at all on this topic, <laughs> which leads to... Because we've gone through the eight obvious topics. <laughs> right, so now- right. Now there's a hard part. And then, Larry, we get to a point where we like break through this wall and there we're, we're like, oh my gosh, there's a million episodes on this topic. How are we ever going to no possibly do that? Zero. To <laughs> right, right. We go from impulse to like warp nine point five, um, seven five. <laughs> so um, we started digging deeper. And Larry, what did we uncover here? Well, it, we started coming up with cases. We we thought, what about? Are there episodes about adjusting to a new normal? Even as you said, new normal varies from place to place. My concern was that in a month now, from a month from now, six months from now. A new normal. It just it suddenly felt very arrogant to assume that we had arrived at a place that was normal because yeah. 
that seemed like it was folly. That seemed like it would lead to, oh, I don't know, maybe some of the problems that we're sitting in now. So yeah. the whole subject really erupted, really opened more up into um, if we're not – why are we not to a new normal yet? Yeah. And is it is it – are we fighting upstream was the metaphor I can – you know, are we – are, have have there been times when thinking we were getting, you know, being very open-minded about a transition in a phase, obviously, that history has handed us uh, with the coronavirus and others <laughs> that, that have caused social upheaval, that um, is that arrogance of thinking we've, we're here, so now let's look around and make a decision. Is that what has keep leading to continuing um, avoidance of being able to say we're in a normal time, such as maybe, oh, I don't know reopening too soon not looking at data uh even just having personal attitudes about oh well this is i i haven't known anybody with coronavirus for a month or two or three and if they new york isn't melting down so it must be over for everyone i mean right. that's what we got to right and we're just seeing that diversity what's here the truth in- around that yeah, it uh, it speaks to the diversity we're seeing here in the comments section. Um, for example, Cairo says um, around here, um, and and uh, some of our European commenters are, are talking about reduction in cases. And um, Cairo says around here we have very few cases left. We can trace them um, and we can manage it quite decently. And um, that is compared to here in the United States where. We don't have contact tracing. We don't have an ability to identify if someone has the case, has coronavirus and who might they have likely contacted tracing that, mm-hmm. um, identifying those people. Um, we don't have that ability and we are seeing some states where coronavirus states that have opened up like Florida and, and Texas are really struggling with the, an increase in cases. So Larry, yeah, let's, let's dive into that. And when we started talking about that, um, one of your favorite episodes, uh, came, came up. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you, mm-hmm. uh, lead us off on well, that. Well, it I know came it's one up. Of your favorites. It, yeah, it came up and we, uh, so here in the briefing room, we'll look at some stories because this was, this was difficult. We said in the beginning to find somebody in the comments here also said uh uh, it, uh thinking about burnout and thinking about in that case it was hard to find episodes and yes i mean some of these some of these different threads it was difficult to think but our our mind started settling into what are times when uh people chose a course of action too soon and it just made the situation worse yeah you know yeah. So <laughs> the first thing that popped into my mind, and again, we had to think on some of these, but the thing that popped into my mind was poor Commodore Decker and the Constellation, the Enterprise, and the Doomsday Machine. Because you can say, well, Decker, his 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 actions, once he got his head together a little bit, were really the whole Captain Ahab complex. He was really obsessed with vengeance, uh, avenging the death of his crew on this inanimate, inorganic, you know, or was it? This be this this killer machine this this doomsday weapon, but his actions basically clearly are are a case of his emotions uh, overriding his logic even in the face of a vacuum of information. As they're trying to gather data, as Spock is trying to lead the effort with Kirk on the on the on the constellation separated, and and uh, he becomes obsessed. With getting back at the killing the thing, killing the thing, even when he doesn't have all the right data to proceed on, and of course it turns into the emotional, the the character moment of him almost getting them killed. 
Yeah. Right. He plunges yeah. into battle. He's repeating all the same. He just thinks he's got more power in a, in a full ship now, full, you know, full power. And the thing why almost wipes them out. They limp away. The, the Enterprise does. And he finally, they finally grab control back. And one of the three best McCoy scenes of the entire original series, <laughs> if I say so myself. I mean, I'll certify that right now. <laughs> Dr. Um, Trek certified statement, y'all. We have it right here. There you go. Drink your first drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but except McCoy and me doesn't really count. But uh, but the point when looked at that from a slightly different view than I've always looked at it, it's all about Decker put them into jeopardy by plunging into a course of action too soon. That was really folly based on a rational, which which Spock, Spock and even McCoy were trying to present and then he goes off and martyrs himself on the surface it's a failed attempt but then it gives everybody the idea that to plunge to send the constellation not the enterprise inside and do an internal explosion to wipe the thing out but the bottom line there is that decker um plunged in yes he was being irrational but that's the point (laughs) a lot of people that look sane on the outside might be totally you know not able to process rationally the data and the sensory data coming into them so yeah that was the first thing i thought that's a very and as we talked it came up that felt like a very personal a very personal case of someone plunging in on a course of action in the middle of an admitted crisis you know what's the best situation? situation yeah 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 and then you yeah. had well, we kind of thought of it at the same time, but but you expanded on it. The case. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, important. i i loved um, I love this idea that um, that you went into, um, and um, I, th- I think Jared might have said we should make the pre-show a Patriot perk. <laughs> I don't know if you all want to like sit through the forty-five minutes of complete despair. There is no Star Trek episode, and then talk about. Like, Talk about plunging in on a situation before you have all the data. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, once you mentioned that, Larry, it it got me thinking of of this idea. What are other cases in which people have gotten stuck with one idea – and plowing forward with um, in a, in a very emotional way that might put everyone else at jeopardy because I think that's what we're struggling here. Um, Cairo mentions um, burnout that we should do a future episode on burnout. I think that's a wonderful idea because a lot of us are feeling that way right now, and a lot of us are so frustrated and tired with shelter in place situations or. Um, Changes to lifestyle, um, wearing a mask, social distancing, all these kind of things, not seeing loved ones, not seeing friends, all that kind of stuff. And um, it, it can make it very easy to get um, to make emotional decisions because mm-hmm. the the all the decisions right now, the logical, rational ones that are grounded in the best science the best experience are hard decisions they're not easy things to do sheltering in place is not an easy thing to do social distancing is not it's the hard thing to do it's better for the long term basically it's yeah. it's not it's not human it's well so you yes. know there's that minority of people as you know we can't broad brush everything there's a ton of people that say i'm thrilled i'm an introvert Inter- interaction is painful for me they're not laughing at the rest of the world, but they're saying, welcome to my world, you yeah. know, and welcome to it. Uh, William Wyndham, Commodore Decker. <laughs> they're, okay, deep cut. Sorry. Uh, welcome Was to my world. Is that an impression? Does that count? No, I, I don't think that was an impression. No, no, no. 
Uh, it was a series, though. But anyway, um, <laughs> they're saying welcome to my world. They 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 weren't happy with you know the externalizing, so they're comfortable. So, th- but they're a minority. Most people, um, it's thrown off our game. Now we've done amazing things, adjusting through you know what we're doing right now times ten. The Brady Bunch look of Zoom. The whole world knows that now. But um, some people still don't like it, and it makes some people uncomfortable. And we've got some human aspects. Uh, we've talked about that, and we've touched on that. It's it's a ongoing topic for the poll every week about adjusting to Zoom life, right? Right. That's a fatigue in itself. But basically, we've been <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone wants us to talk about that. No one wants to talk about Zoom. <laughs> no. They're tired of talking about Zoom on Zoom or on virtual, but. Uh, but we've made it. We've adapted in some ways. But still, we're off our game, and people are in a hurry to get back to. I mean, that's yes. a lot of it. Some of it. Yeah. Some of it's you know, uh, um, survival mode because we most of us are in a capitalist system and we're losing incomes, and yeah. people want to work, and they want to know that they're going to pay their rent and have food on the table. So right. there's very much a primal fear driving this too, yeah. as well as just. Our lack of interaction. Libby says, I, um, I love alone time, but now I'm alone 24-7 and it's too much. And I, I think that kind of summarizes this feeling of, you know, how much more do we have to take? How much more do we do we struggle with this? And um, and at what cost? As you were saying, Larry, the, the economics of this. So that immediately made me think of a, a Voyager episode that I think speaks exactly to this topic. Um, this is the Voyager episode Prime Factor. Um, mm-hmm. And for those of you who might not remember this episode, um, it's not it's as... Early. It's early. It's not quite as mm-hmm. iconic as Doomsday Machine. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't have that beautiful score uh, that Jaws rips off. But um, yes. Oh, uh, you're on my soapbox. I'm now. on your... Oh, yeah, yeah. I did, I did a little internet search, Larry. I found a couple of blog posts that speak exactly to... They have a whole argument in favor of what you said. I'm, 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 on, I'm on team... Uh, well, then there are here. some islands of brilliance on the internet then. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, Larry Nemechek's Trekland would be one of those. The other is the Psych Show. Um, two islands in a in a sea of uh, no. There's other good stuff on the internet. Anyways, the Voyager episode. This is a Voyager episode where they encounter a um, alien civilization who has advanced transportation technology, even and, beyond their. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this is something that can just get them home. And at this point, how far into the series is this, Larry? There, it's I was going to not- say, we're so early. If you put the slide back up, we are yeah. so early. Seska is still a Bajoran. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> she hasn't been revealed yet. But uh, for all of you Picard and nothing else fans, this is we're talking about the spatial trajector that has- um, I think – Maybe I'm wrong about that. But anyway, we're talking about a gizmo that can get them home in a huge leap, if not all the way, most of the way home. And it proves to be just too tempting. So we've had Maquis and Starfleet barely working together, but they're all still terrified of taking 70 years or more to get home, right, to Earth. And so it's interesting. The show is really – it's called Prime Factors because it's very interesting to see what happens when – following the prime directive when the shoe's on the other foot right right dan dan corrected me here that it's prime factors i think i said prime factor uh yes thank you for that i didn't yes i i it's hard for me to correct another colleague 
<laughs> it's awesome. easy. It's easy in the comment section. Let's to correct. Drive please, please yeah. always correct us. Um, and so yeah. what what we see here is um, it's not just Maquis, right? It's um, no. It's, this was yes. It's very insidious that the yes. Starfleet, the people that say what she's crazy, we can't. He, they won't. They won't share with us. And so we should just take it. And it, yeah. yeah, it's a, it could, because they're invoking their own prime directive and saying, no, we don't share technology with lesser developed species, even though they're both spacefaring. They're both kind of on the same level. There's this quantum leap ahead that that puts this civilization ahead of the Voyager crew. And Janeway's like, OK, well, we have to we have to respect that. And people are grumbling. But here's this all these yellow shirts, <laughs> all these engineering yellow people shirts. are gathering together. Um, surprisingly, even eventually with Tuvok, which is what really gives this show a spin. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, they actually go and and just steal it when they won't loan it to them. Yeah, and of course they try to in, in integrate the device and um, and, and, and it uh, blows out the engines. Yeah, yeah. Have, I mean, yeah. I would be remiss if I did not pick up on your quantum leap uh, reference there. Oh boy, Larry, that is uh, that's oh boy, a, oh boy. Um, that uh, is your first impression of the show. Uh, a deep cut that does bring you back to Star Trek as well. Yeah. I think that's how the theme song went to Quantum Leap. Well, it's not our song, so... <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, what what I love about that episode is is it does get to this idea of, like, we want to get back to, to the Alpha Quadrant. We need to do what it takes. And mm-hmm. um, you see a group of the crew really act emotionally, impulsively, and um, it, it kind of backfires. The, the technology doesn't – it's not even compatible. Um, and, you know, it could have gone a lot worse. It could have been technology that it, they installed and blew up half the ship. Like, who knows? Um, but it was um, – it was not not a very prudent thing to do by any means. And then, Larry, we started to talk about a character that really represents a lot of these themes. A character that, um, gosh, is probably one of the most... Um, he's appeared in... The actor has appeared yes. in the motion picture era, the original series movies. Mm-hmm. He's appeared in the Next Generation era across. Wait, should we be offering a trivia prize here? What are you leading to? Are we? Are we yeah, speaking? should we? You get, you get bragging rights for picking up on who this character is. So this. Well, I should. Ha- I just want to say that we're sitting here talking about what does it look like when we don't know what the new normal is to really talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Meaning that we're in phases, and was it me or was it you? Oh no, after you, sir. No, was it that you picked up on? There's one character in Star Trek that embodies constant change. Yes, that his new normal constantly becomes a new normal. Yes, and I think hopefully people get it now. We're talking about Worf. We're talking about Worf. My we're, goodness, we're talking about Worf. Um, yes. Worf is a character that um, goes through so much. I mean, we see him on um, we see him on Next Generation, and um, when you when you first see Worf, he is uh, you know there, there's a lot of unique things about Worf. He's he's not a complete stoic figure. I mean, this guy he's a first Klingon in Starfleet, so um, he's he does think a little bit differently here. But he was raised on Earth, and you see him kind of as a well, stickler. He, he was raised by 
humans, we should say. He was, he was raised by humans. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Larry. He was raised uh, on farming world of Galt. Oh, my God. I can't believe I pulled that out. His, <laughs> but his, par- his parents were killed, wiped yeah. out in an attack by Romulans, yeah. ad- adopted by human parents, the Rojenkos, right? Some on Earth, but they also lived on a farm world. Um, but yeah, he had a really interesting background, a one-of-a-kind, unique background, and that's what leads to his problems later on. Yeah, he, in The Next Generation, is kind of a stickler. Um, he's very much a rule follower, like things need to be a certain way. And when we see him on on Deep Space Nine, um, there's a wonderful scene, probably one of my favorite uh, um, scenes between both of these characters. So this is a scene between Worf and Odo. Early on. Early on. Early on once he's joined um, Deep Space Nine. Um, I believe it's Bar Association is the uh, Yeah, there. which is known for its A story. Definitely the B story of Bar Association. But here's yeah. Worf. Who's, who's evolved over his Enterprise D tenure. He's left the crew. He's gone off on his own. He was, uh, ambassador to the Klingon Empire for a while, but he's, he's mucked around, but he's, he, or he's, he's finding himself at that point. And he winds up in the middle of the Klingon invasion of Cardassia, which he re- revolves, but, but he, he comes to the crew. Well, his old division was security. He started in command division, but he wound up in security for the years, and he cannot stand – he thinks Odo is a loose cannon that's not doing a good job. And the tension of the B story finally of the Bar Association is all about when Odo has had enough. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And he he, pulls up this pad or he looks at a monitor. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And he pulls up, you know, on Stardate, this, this, is this. Here's what you did on the Enterprise. And on this Stardate, here's something you completely neglected and goes through this whole list. Like, you let Ferengi marauders take over the galaxy class starship. And Worf is just kind of sitting there like, hmm. Uh, and it's this wonderful moment of, look, things do not, on Deep Space Nine, things do not work the same way as they do on the flagship of the Federation. Hey, Worf, you have to be flexible here with what you think about related to security. And it all pans out because um, Odo... Odo was going soft on Quark because I think Quark was going to lead him to more information about like a bigger bust and, and that kind of stuff. And Worf is just not used to thinking that way. And Larry, there, I think. Well, you know, what's, what's unique about Worf before we go any further with his yeah. arc is, I mean, I was talking about how. What's unique about I mean, it is he's one of the best out. characters in all of Star Trek. But go ahead. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> they, they eventually brought this out even in a meta way within the show after I think fans kind of chatted about it was that. It's like Worf is like the impossible Klingon. He is, he was so, when you're, I think when people are, say, American and they're raised in another country, they have a little bit of their culture with them, maybe with their family, or even if they don't. Or if you're, if you grew up in a part of the country and you're taken somewhere else and you, it's like for part of your identity, you cling to everything from your homeland or your home place, you know, your sports teams or your ways of doing things or your accent. Worf is like the most Klingon Klingon ever to the point where all the Klingons come by and go, what is wrong with you? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. You know, unclench. He has the biggest, pardon my French, pardon my Klingoni, my Klingon hole. He has the biggest Klingon rod of his ass of any Klingon ever. But at the same time, 
that's that that I'm using very I'm sorry if I got too technical there with my uh, psychological descriptions, but that's also what saves the day at times, because when the rest of the Klingon and even the entire empire is falling into dishonor, he's the one guy saying, hey, I thought I thought here in the Klingon manual, it said we were all about honor, you know, and there is a chance where it took a, a, a case where it took it took that warfness to save the day, right? But for a lot of the time, <laughs> Worf is the most Klingon you'll never meet in real life. Right. Because right. it's Klingon, because of the way, because his parents were wiped out, because he grew up an orphan raised by humans, because he grew up on other worlds, not Kronos. Yeah, I think you Martok know. later on tells Worf, like, basically he says, you know, you need to loosen up. Like, it, you got to have fun. You got to feel. You have to enjoy life as well. That's as much as being Klingon as all the traditions and rules and honor and all that it, sort of stuff. It's almost as if Martok was channeling Pike there for a second and yeah, said, right, we've right. got to have a little fun along the way. Right. <laughs> um, I love um, I love this quote um, that Dan reminded of. I am not a married man. Um, and there yes. you have impression number two, folks. And Libby also says regarding um, Bar association that it is a moment of new normal for Rom and Quark, the union, the change in the brother uh, relationship because Rom mm-hmm. leaves Quark to join engineering and he thinks he'll improve the relationship. You know, Larry, one of the things we also talked about in the pre-show, we're like, uh, we already have three examples, but you know what? The chat... <laughs> The community yes. is going to bring up way more examples of. of I'm going to say the chat room is going to save us, but the chat will, the, our our chatsters will uh, greatly, yes, illuminate and enhance. elucidate. Yeah, they they enhance. enhance. They, yeah, um, and I love Cairo's reference here. Uh, Maybe you all need to adjust to me. Is another line <laughs> that Worf has. But you, know, uh, one of the one of the things that really takes Worf's, Worf's character and pushes him against this inflexibility he has, and and that's what we're trying to show here with um, with Decker and uh, the Doomsday Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and feeling like getting obsessed, things like need to be the certain way, uh, with Voyager and emotionally jumping, uh, way too quickly and making a decision that can put the whole ship at risk. And with Worf and inflexibility, these are all things that, um, that make it very difficult to, uh, to deal with these uncertain times, which might lead you to make emotional decisions that can really, um, mm. um, put you uh in in a dangerous dangerous place we see that with Worf and uh jadzia um again his wife his life unending here with the challenges with the changes for him personally right yeah yeah and the the rise episode uh larry i always forget the name of this episode um he let he who is without sin is that oh, yes cast, yes that's the first dilithium yes okay <laughs> So um, in this episode, we see this this tension between how Jadzia wants to relax and have fun and maintain connection with her relationships that that he, uh, she has had, and Worf's idea about what a relationship should be and how a Klingon um, a Klingon relationship works mm-hmm. and what you need to be able to get married, and none of these ideas. Uh, work for Jadzia and Jadzia has lifetimes of experience to draw from <laughs> and says you need you need to wake up you are not 
dating um, a Klingon woman. And um, I, I think there's also a suggestion that I don't know if any Klingon woman is the is is what you have in your mind of what a Klingon again, woman is. Again, what Klingon woman is Klingon enough for you, Worf, because right. he's carrying around an ideal. Yes, right? he has this very inflexible idea at that point of what it means to be Klingon, what it means to be in a Klingon relationship, what a Klingon um, a partner looks like. And we see this play out again in um, in their uh, wedding. Um, all the customs, all the things that he wants Jadzia to do. And Jadzia is trying so hard. And then she represented kind of says, by her mother-in-law, which is just it's like an old mother-in-law joke. But, oh, my gosh, know, through a Klingon. Um, figure, but yes. And I, I think things change for Worf um, in in this wonderful episode. Um, Larry, I'm going to use. I'm going to need your help again. Change uh, of heart. Change of heart. Yeah, yeah, so on the nose there. Um, don't you miss when we had titles that were so you know, measure of a man, change of heart, um, the inner light. They, they were so clear and to the point. You have an issue with the the wolf and the lambs cry and the screams of midnight and whatever the hell that title was. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> For the New world track... is awful and I have touched the sky. <laughs> yeah. New Trek needs to shriek down those titles a little bit, but not so much as Enterprise. Enterprise had these like single word titles too that were, um, they could have used a little bit more, you know, yeah. just, just give us like, you know. Something in TNG the and the Vuzz. Yeah. Yes. You know, in the 90s, there was a thing after after um, Enterprise, after uh, Discovery, Larry, after DS9 and Voyager had gotten established, there was a there was a joke thing that went around. I think it started in the offices. I've got to find this where it was like they would take a next generation episode and then they would give the equivalent title on Voyager or DS9. <laughs> <laughs> and Voyagers would be like a one-word title, and the DS9 would be, you know, the equivalent of wrongs darker than death or night, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. It was like, take this episode and DS9ify the title and Voyagerize the title. And, uh, of course, the, the TNGs were all the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the guy, absolutely. the girl, the thing, the Klingon, the no, I, you know. Well, um, we have a, a some great comments in the chat um, uh, related to like why this might be um, and how much how hard Worf is working to prove himself as a Klingon and to demonstrate that he um, he is um, his heart does beat for Kalas. Um, I don't know who I was impersonating. There's a little Gowron there. Like, maybe I need the, the Gowron eyes, Worf. Does your heart not beat with the whatever for whatever? I don't know. Um, it beats for something. Beats for some kind of blood. It's, and um, It's hard to out Bob Bob. But okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yes, the chat room is putting the support in life support. Um, but the, um, when we get to, when we get to change of heart, we see Worf do something that I never really thought he would ever do. And I think it's his most Klingon moment where he disobeys his orders to mm-hmm. save his wife. Right. And um, it, it could have been a huge game changer if Worf was able to make that rendezvous, get that information, bring it back to Starfleet. It would have given him a big advantage in the Dominion War. But Worf goes, no, you know what? 
I love my wife. She's more important to me than anything. Um, the Federation be damned. I'm going to save her, which is such a Klingon thing to do, right? Like, does your heart not beat for Jadzia? <laughs> but we should we should point out that he he leave, they they have their big goodbye. Yeah, uh, even without Dixon Hill, they have their big goodbye. <laughs> And he, I mean, he's going to be duty bound. He's going to leave her behind to get the information out yeah. in a timely way. And and they've said their, you know, sad tearful farewells. And which was interesting because this was just a few episodes before they killed Jadzia off. And yeah. the rumor mill had already started that she, it's a little bit like the fake death of Spock at the beginning of Wrath of Khan. And he leaves. But so he's going to, he's going to be duty bound Uber Klingon. Wharf, and he leaves, and yeah, he has that moment where he turns around and goes back for her, and then he gets chewed out. Cisco chews him out because he has to, but it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, yeah, Picard yeah. was right. Never marry the people in your command <laughs> when you have to put their lives in danger. So, but yeah. that was last show. Um, yes, but it was definitely a turning point for Worf and Jadzia because the the core thing here. If you want to ship this, uh, the core thing has been the whole point of this was there was an attraction between those two that could not be denied. Yeah. That even the writers yeah, yeah. didn't know. Oh, oh, it was the, the chemistry between them early on was completely there if we rewatched right. DS9. Right. From from his from his pilot, from where the warrior onward. But it, the point it, it was is never that. there with Worf and Troy. That was <laughs> bizarre, Larry. <laughs> we all know that. We all know that. But um, that was like senioritis or something the last yeah, year of the yeah, show and they yeah. had to jump for new yeah. or something uh, <laughs> that would be like i don't know the last right. year of voyager putting seven and chakotay or something together right. just for the hell of being right. the last year yeah. uh whatever yeah. but um no it's like that that um there was always the attraction but that's what made all these trials and tribulations of wharf that's what made them work because at the end of the day that love that bond that spark is what brought him through and, and brought him through that hoop. And you know, um, Linda, Linda mentions, um, and also with Esri too, uh, Linda, you just read our minds because that's where <laughs> we're going to take this character is after Jadzia dies um, and Esri enters his life, which, okay, are we just ignoring those trill rules about uh, new hosts should it, make contact with their past relationships i guess we are season seven unexpected unplanned for death of a character let's do right. that um so when when Worf has to deal with esri <clears throat> one of my favorite storylines here related to esri is is this relationship and how the two of them move forward and um the struggle that Worf has like jadzia is dead like, she is gone. I want nothing to do with you. We see that inflexibility again. And over the course of season seven, not only are they able to become friends, but Worf is able to support Esri in, um, in her own goals and her own pursuits. And yeah, everything gets tied up very neatly in a bun there very quickly. Um, and I think it's weird. Well, they actually, you know, I would, I would give them a little credit that this kind of, this did string out for several episodes. It, it, Cause it, it winds up being a triangle with Bashir, which is bizarre considering where Jadzia and Bashir started out. Um, but but uh, which gets a new like the the beginning of their relationship, or at least in his mind, gets a whole new look 
recently <laughs> in the times we're living in, but that's <laughs> that's a whole other episode. But no, it's it's and it's not even about being Klingon. This is about just being a, hum, a, a human, being a Klingon being. This thing of he's lost his wife. It's a tragedy. He was broken up about it. It took him a while to heal. And then, damn it, the, the Band-Aid is ripped. It's not just a Band-Aid. The, the wound is ripped wide open again when she comes back, but she's not her. So you're caught in this, you know, this uh, Neverland here where he can't go back to her, and yet he wants to, and she doesn't feel the same way. And he can't mourn his dead wife because here she is walking around right in front of him every day in a way. And so, yeah, sorting through all that in a very weird science fiction way, uh, it could be an allegory for the relationships that we have where we're not – we're obviously apart, but we see the person still and have to work. And can that even work? So um, – but yes, it's another case of putting Worf through – You know, it's another case of a new normal for Worf and his never-ending chain of what new normal is for him. Yeah. And they do eventually get through it. But I, I was just going to say, to the writer's credit, they strung that out because Bashir was in distress as the other guy <laughs> for three or four episodes there until they finally wrapped up their own little end of the triangle. Yeah, But uh, it was sweet. It was sweet when Worf found his way to that moment we just had there. You know, um, uh, Zaheer just asked a really great question <laughs> that has me thinking, uh, Larry, which is, um, was that the Klingon thing to do? to save uh, Jadzia and, um, you know, uh, screw the mission? Or is a Klingon thing to do to um, have her die in an honorable way so that she goes to Stovacor? Uh, well, see, there you go. She certainly would have died with honor for Stovacor. Um, they actually did a ceremony later on after Jadzia dies to do that right. very thing. Right. So, you know, they do, yes. Whatever Jadzia was going to do, it was going to get her there. So, yeah. um, so, in uh, so uh, that is then another example of Worf becoming someone who does develop more flexibility in his thinking. And maybe in that moment, he's doing something that's not Klingon, not Federation, but 100% Worf. Um, I don't know, but it, it shows a really transcends great, definition. Yeah, it it's, it shows a wonderful arc here, and um, in the spirit of uh, not beating a dead horse, let's let's move over here to the <laughs> counselor's lock. Uh, so there's there's two. This is the the part of the show where I bring in um, some psychological science to to help us understand these things. And Larry, there's there's two big ideas that stuck out for me when we were talking about jumping forward emotionally in a way that might put yourself at danger, your community, your ship, your crew in danger, and about thinking more flexibly as we encounter these new kind of situations. The first is groupthink. And so if we go back to Doomsday Machine, and if we also look at, um, if we look at, uh, Prime Factors, um, that Prime was the name of, yes, yes, Prime Factors, um, both of those episodes do show us the danger in um in thinking a certain way and um i think the voyager episode gets closer to really showing us this and so what happens with groupthink is when you and uh the team that you are in the group of people that you work with um mm -hmm. when dissent is isn't really encouraged or allowed or dissenting voices are silenced and maybe you have one uh one very loud voice in the room who says we're going to do it this way 
and there isn't really much an opportunity to debate or discuss. It's kind of the opposite of what we usually see in most briefing rooms, actually. Usually captains want to hear dissent. They want different opinions. Um, Picard, Cisco, Kirk, uh, Janeway, all, all, all the great captains, um, do this. The greats. All of them. Um, but groupthink is the opposite. Groupthink mm. is when you say it's going to be this way and dissent is not really encouraged. Um, she- some, some of the biggest disasters that we have seen, the Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, that the U.S. did, that was a groupthink was really b- blamed for that. Um, the Challenger explosion, um, it was groupthink that was identified as the problem that led NASA engineers to uh, to create that vulnerability to to um, that ultimately led to the destruction of, right. of Challenger on liftoff. But to create the vulnerability, but also to launch in sub-zero weather without yes. going through all the yes. checks. Yeah, you got those layers there of groupthink, and the most important thing for a team to have is permission for people to voice dissenting point of views different point of views to for people to say are we sure this is a good idea um and if you don't have that people can make (sighs) groups can make Mm -hmm. very bad decisions implement those decisions and disaster can occur um Uh, supporting hitler through world war ii well um Uh on a, on a mass cultural scale, yeah, and and we're seeing that kind of groupthink, you know, around the world now, still. So yes. it's not even. I'm not even jumping on my German friends uh, at all. I'm jumping on history, and but it's human nature, and it's like human nature often extreme. And it sadly, we can all kind of look at this and say it's not even an extreme case. We see the roots of it happening, you know, around the world when 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 yes. <laughs> Groupthink written in politics can be a very dangerous thing. Yeah, I mean, um, there's some some conversation here about cults in the comments section, mm. um, and we see that with uh, Ducat and the cult that he forms, uh, the Pa Wraith cult. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really great example of of this. It's a great example of what we talked about last week with cognitive dissonance and motivated reasoning. That um, uh, Ducat really tries to pull one over on on the cult and um, and have some people start to believe that it's very hard. It's very hard if you're in a team environment where um, you can't say no um, or you can't voice a dissenting point of view. Really bad things can happen. And I think to some degree we've been seeing that here in the United States in, the, in our response to coronavirus. The other thing here, Larry. Any, I was going to say, name yeah. your clinker episode of any Star Trek. Yeah. And you go back to the writer's room. Oh. <laughs> There's another case of uh, code of honor. I don't know. You know, there's a case of oops, writers' room group think. Everybody thought this would be great, and oops, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. I think Robert is asking a good question here. So when one is outnumbered by many, how is that one? Um, how might that one influence and control so many? Uh, that's a really great question, Robert. And so 
this is more at the organizational level, teams and families and friends. It's not just about the workplace, but this is also true of, of friends as well. I mean, how many of us have been in a situation where some friend might have made a suggestion and you're like, that's not a good idea, but um, it's just not, it doesn't feel like an environment where you can speak up. Um, uh, and you kind of go along with that bad idea. You know, I, I've definitely been in that situation myself. Um, there's there's two ways to think about this, Robert. So number one is organizations from the top down really need to value um, dissenting points of view because it it's, keeps us safe. It's a safety mechanism. And one of the ways you can do that is if you are in any type of leadership position, um, you can you can tell people like we want to hear lots of perspectives. We want to hear how this might not work. Um, I want criticism here. And another way to do that, I, I really like this strategy. This comes from um, IO psychology, which is like industrial organizational business psychology is you can appoint one person in each meeting to be the devil's advocate and their job is to argue against um, where the group is going to play the devil's advocate and that person is a rotating position it's not like always larry has to be the devil so doesn't always has to be the bad guy yeah exactly that's like newspapers and some other organizations have ombudsman if yes. they don't initiate the, the pushback, they're there to represent the people that do have pushback. Yes, yes. Yes, kind um, of be it. Almost like it, we have these uh, supposedly independent, uh, what are they, the IGs, uh, the independent inspectors, inspector generals that are supposed to be the independent watchdogs within federal departments. Right, when right. They're not being uh, interfered with. But that's their job is to be the uh, the separate but part of the team, but the separate part of the team. Yeah, and, and yeah. Cairo is saying here that I've actually learned not to voice dissenting opinions on the internet because it tends to go very badly. And the internet is a different use case here. But when you're when you are working with teams of people to to get at that Cairo, it ha- um, it has to be valued. You have to, and and that's what all the captains show us is the captains present the problem, they get ideas. Every division senior staff officer voices those ideas. And how many times have we seen Worf tell Picard, mm, I don't know, I don't trust that. Maybe we should just blow him up. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. You he got a little more nuanced as time went as by. Time yes. yeah. yeah. And Picard would always listen never say that's a stupid idea. Like shut up, don't don't ever tell me that. No. All the captains do this. They all listen out. So it has to be valued. The other way, so if your organization does not do that, the other thing to remember here is if you're really concerned with your family, your friends, your team going in a certain direction, if you speak up, there's very good research that shows it makes it incredibly easier for everyone else who also has that concern to speak up. Um, the barrier to voicing your concerns completely drops when just one other person mm-hmm. expresses a concern. And I've noticed this time and time again in my life when I've been in these kind of meetings is w- the moment I say that, 
like other people might nod their heads and they might also right. express it. Um, so I know that's hard to do. And I know in situations where if you feel like you're in every revolution, be- there's one man with a vision. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's a very hard thing to do. But if you are in a situation, if we're dealing with the, with the Bay of Pigs or shuttle, uh, space shuttle, uh, challenger kind of situation life and death you you have to you have to speak up it'll make it easier for everyone else to and one more thing in the counselor's log about wharf is this idea of psychological flexibility so there's a, a treatment that's been developed called acceptance commitment therapy that has really studied this uh pretty pretty well like how how can we help people to become more flexible in their thinking and it seems like uh there's there's a, a few different things involved, but I'm just going to talk about two of them because this will tie into my away mission for the week. Number one, what seems to help is uh, this idea of diffusion. So not being fused with your thoughts. So not getting stuck with your thoughts. It seems to be really important to change the relationship with your thoughts that you don't just believe everything your mind tells you that you can get a little bit distance from your thoughts and look at them from a, a, a different lens. And I'll talk about how to do that later. But this is Worf in a nutshell is like, what is a Klingon? How does a Klingon look? What does a Klingon do? Worf is really stuck with these certain ideas, even when everyone else is telling him, like, hey, buddy, like, Klingons are more than just X, Y, Z. So the idea of changing your relationship with your thoughts to see mm-hmm. them in a new light, we'll talk about how to do that in a moment. Um, the other thing that seems to be really important is um, not believing your thoughts and thinking, um, not believing your thoughts immediately, not getting stuck with them, but uh, focusing more on your values, what's important to you, and how can you how can you maintain some kind of connection to that value, even as the world around you might be changing? And we see that in that moment with Odo and Worf, that Worf's idea is things need to be X, Y, Z. But really underneath, Worf is concerned about security and safety. That's what he's concerned about. They're all on the same side. In They're words. all on the same side. And that's what Odo helps him to understand <laughs> that, Worf, it's not about doing things ABC. The way we do safety and security here is this other way. So I'm on your, we're on the same side. We you have the, the same value. Yes. But the way we do it is different. So I'll talk about how to, how to do those things in a moment. Um, but Larry, I am excited for today's K3 factor. Oh, Today, yes. Today's yes, the K3 deep factor. cut, which is an idea. It gets back to the original series, the K3. But this could be a deep cut in any direction that maybe people haven't considered before. So I'm right. very excited. And the, and the K3, for, for those of you new to uh, Life Support Live, the K3 is like the one the one reference besides psycho tricorders in the original series to um, – to 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 brain science to neuroscience it's it's right there on the bio bit it's the second indicator over in one handy dandy diagnostic we can see how the mental facilities are going now so the k3 factor is my chance here to bring in a deep dive the way we do in trekland only through today's filter of, of the theme and um carrying on here's a, hey here's one more aspect of of Worf's, that arc which um, totally on the side, as we were talking there, I was thinking that 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 
that bit about being being uh, having your set of mindsets and then having it challenged is exactly one of the good the good um, hopefully the good experiences of going to college. Hmm. Is you you grow up in the in the cocoon, the loving cocoon of your family and your surroundings, immediate surroundings, your school, your hometown, and then you go off to college and suddenly you're met by other people, other backgrounds, other, and ideas that you never thought of and considered that challenge you. And some people broaden and some people hunker down <laughs> in defense. Um, but it's like that's like a lifeline, a, a lifetime of of this evolution we're talking about in one place. But which seem to keep happening to Worf. But in, in this case, speaking of Worf, one of those strictures, not so much about being a Klingon, I think, but about, again, we mentioned it on, on briefly there. His first memory of life is losing his parents, having them wiped out in attack. Who did it? The Romulans. Yeah. Flash forward to a moment in a third season episode called The Enemy. When the main story is happening on the planet, it's in, it's Jordy and Enemy Mind, Jordy and the Romulan in the pit, and they're trying to save themselves. They have to cooperate, overcome their their distance as nominal enemies. But on the ship, a rescued Romulan is slowly dying. Beverly can't save him, but then she realizes that if she just gets some Romulan blood, which is a little weird because you always thought about Romulan Vulcan blood being related. But anyway, if if Worf would just donate some blood, the elements could save this guy. And Worf is not going to do it. Yeah. As the episode happens, this is an early third season one, but it's part of the evolution that Michael Piller brought. But he's not about to do it. No. And Beverly is – Dr. Crusher is just like astounded. I mean she's almost saying, I'm sorry. I thought you were a regular on a Star Trek show. Why are you not doing the heroic life-saving <laughs> thing here? And they go in and they have that confrontation. You almost see Worf um, – teetering and then the we just had the, the the romulan dying romulan grabs him and and strengthens his resolve that's the wharf we know flash forward oh a few years and the last time we see wharf it's a moment that went right by everybody and i'm pissed because i read the script and thought it was going to be awesome and then i saw it on the screen and i was once again so mad at Stuart baird but it's a moment when they're fighting Shinzon, the renegade Romulan, right? He's who's really a re or he's We're really a human Picard among the Remans. But the point is, the regular Romulan space fleet comes up to help. They send three of the new warbirds, and they're all wiped out. Yeah, they're all going. You know, the Enterprise and the three Romulan warbirds can't take out Shinzon yeah. and the Scimitar, but. Um, but after the battle, and they, they're either killed or they limp away, and the plot's moving on. And there's a moment when Riker and Worf are moving down the corridor. They're about to get attacked hand-to-hand. But there's a moment when they're mulling over what just happened. And out of the blue, Worf just goes – Worf has a light bulb. And that moment, he looks at Riker and he goes, the Romulans died with honor. And I remember reading the script and going, oh, my God, what a moment. And it's like, but, you know, I feel sorry for anybody. Anybody just watching this movie, is, he's going to say that and it's going to zoom right by. It won't mean anything. Yeah. But if you're if you're a fan, if you've been a longtime watcher, it's like a thunderclap because I immediately go back to the moment in The Enemy when he yeah. refused. You know, that's his arc there. Yeah. So what's amazing. Here's the K3, though. So. You're welcome. There's a bonus on that. Was work. not the K three. <laughs> the K three <laughs> is no. I mean, the moment is piling on our wharf discussion. But the K three factor here is that original moment in the enemy was Michael Pillar's idea. 
And when he told the rest of the staff that, they reacted the way Beverly does. They're all like, wait, what? This is Star Trek. He's a regular. He's a hero. He can't he can't cause someone to die, which is interesting because we, I was talking a couple of weeks ago about Michael and Ron Moore's reaction to Wesley telling the truth or not with his friends in the first duty. Well, here's a case where Michael is saying, no, this will be great for Worf's character. He'll be Klingon. And if we do this, we're going to we'll, we'll vanillaize Worf. We will blandify him. We'll humanize Worf too much. And so the writers went along with it. He got it past Rick. <laughs> they give the script to Michael Dorn, and Michael Dorn is, ah, no, what? I'm going to let a guy die? So it's really, you know, they had to sell everybody along the way. Michael had to stand up mm. for this. But I think if we look back, look at all the way, you know, it preserved Worf being, as the writers pulled their hair out with Gene's perfect humans, and as that whole, evol- that whole thing evolved, the one go-to you could do, as you said earlier, Worf could be the guy in the room going, well, let's just blow him up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he could be, he could, whatever form it took, he could still be the dissenting voice. He could be that extreme. And then, and then there's times to turn that on its ear for, you know, dramatic effect. But in this moment, this seminal moment, we didn't realize it at the time. And it was the B story again. But at this seminal moment in Worf's character development, um, there was, it was consternation in the room, but Michael stuck to his guns, and um, and everybody was finally won over. But even Michael Dorn didn't want to do it at first, and yeah. then he was wor- yeah. he was worried. He's the actor; it's all going to fall on him. People are going to yell at him if if it if it goes down bad with the fan base. But nobody. There were some people thinking, "Oh my God, he let that guy." But most people got the idea. Yeah. And if your parents had been white, you were you know this this goes beyond styles. And prejudice on the bridge. Get it out of here, Mister. In Balance of Terror, with Romulans, yeah. uh, this is like people can get it. Well, his parents were murdered and killed by you know Romulan war. You know they don't excuse it, but so anyway, I I always love that that um, that little moment is paid off years later right. in Nemesis. Yeah. If you were up for it, and it almost didn't happen. So. Well, there's there's a lot that I really like about this K three. Um, one is Worf. I can always go for more Worf, so thank you for that, Larry. Um, but another here is, um, you know, your example kind of shows psychological flexibility too, um, mm-hmm. and it's a it, it's about these immediate thoughts that we have and getting diffusion, not getting stuck with them, loosening up the things that were that are fused in our mind, so getting a little bit distance from them, and. Um, Sometimes it takes repeated viewing to do that when we get stuck with thinking about a media in a certain way, like Star Trek Nemesis. Um, sometimes it takes a new perspective. Sometimes it takes like looking at it from a new lens and kind of laughing about it. Um, you know, I, I maybe, maybe a 20 years later lens, the way 20, everybody, yeah. when people yeah, yeah. do rewatches of the shows they didn't care about when they were first aired and yeah yes and it's a big case in that you know i remember when star trek nemesis came out um i had a lot of different reactions to it um one i i mean i had some positive some negative i i love the fact that we were finally seeing the romulans on the big screen that was cool um i love the idea that there's these this remen this uh, sort of um underclass this slave class that the romulans exploit and that storyline mm-hmm. i thought that was a really cool element to see in star trek um and um there there's a lot to like there but i remember when 
of the biggest criticisms was, well, this is just a rehash of Wrath of Khan. This is a complete rehash. And then a few years later, we have Star Trek Into Darkness, and people are saying the same thing about it. And I'm like, folks... What happened to everyone, you know, complaining about Star Trek Nemesis now? Like, is do we see Nemesis now in a new light? So I think, I think your yeah. example shows. If that, if that was a tweet, it would be, uh, it would be uh, Nemesis. Hey, let's redo the Wrath of Khan. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we haven't lost track of the chat, Dan. There's, uh, the, uh, we're following. The chat is going. I, I'm keeping an eye on. We've got there's a lot. An incredible discussion here about seven and sexuality. Yeah. and Su- Sulu it's, being gay or not? That's totally taken off. It's um, uh, it's not our topic well, this week, but it's totally it, yeah. Taken off. Um, we encourage you to continue having that conversation. We we will try to circle back in some way, but we also have a show that we want to uh, that we've prepped for that uh, and and a certain theme that we want to do justice to. So uh, we see you. We encourage your conversation, and we are also boldly moving forward now. Um, but uh, your example, Larry, is is a good one that shows this emojic, emotions versus logic in uncertain times, um, mm-hmm. because it, it does show some flexibility in how you're approaching um, Star Trek Nemesis, getting unstuck with some of those ideas you might have about how it was shot, the direction that that film went in, um, what value there is to these character moments so i love that um i now as i think about it it also gets back to our topic about uh, the dangers of groupthink yeah or just the opposite where you're allowed to express the idea but then what yeah. are you just tokenly allowed to express it of course it has to do with the power structure but in the meta sense in that case with the enemy michael pillar was the showrunner he was only outranked by rick berman but still he stuck to his guns if you notice, he tended to win most of the arguments. So some of that is his position in the hierarchy there. But uh, so along the line between you – know, and the actor involved wasn't Patrick Stewart. It was Michael Dorn. Yeah. So there's hierarchy on the actor side too. But in a real world, you've got a case of Michael not being inflexible but the one who's got the idea worth listening to and converts everyone else. Yeah, right. yeah. And right? I so, would I would say so that's that's a good that's that's a good example of um of dealing with groupthink that uh, we had people who spoke their mind and said no this in is leadership. not how it should be in leadership yeah, yeah. on the actor side and on the, in the writers room side and um, sometimes you need that disagreement to clarify oh this is a good idea or maybe rein it back a little bit uh, Larry another example of that uh, of fighting groupthink is um, the original idea Ira's original ending I think that he not original ending but an idea he he had was to have Benny Hill. The um, the last episode ends with Benny Hill sort of waking up, and he's on the sound stage on a Paramount lot. Benny Hill. Benny Hill. Um, it wasn't Benny Hill. Um, Cisco, Benny Russell. Benny Russell. I'm sorry. Where's Benny Hill? <laughs> Benny Hill, Hill is the fast motion music. Uh, 
from the BBC. <laughs> I don't know. The British comedian. Where that, where my mind pulled that from. I have no clue. I have no clue where that came from. <laughs> That's how DS9 was originally supposed to end. Um, yes. <laughs> With a video of fast motion. Exit off the station. Oh my gosh! Okay. Um, these are the times where I wish I could edit uh, what I just said. Here's the chat room. Here's us. <laughs> yes. It's just this. Okay. So the original idea for, uh, or not original idea. Again, Ira had this idea of um, having the um, the show end, and we realized it was sort of all a dream. In the mind, like the Saint Elsewhere snow globe ending. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, I think it was international um, snow globe. That's what that right. okay. I think it was Berman who said, "Well, okay. So does that mean all of Star Trek is is all a dream? Like, where does this begin and end?" <laughs> and um, as they had that conversation. I think it became pretty clear that, like, that's not a good idea for a larger franchise. But sometimes you need you need to be in a place where you can express these descending points of view and know when to pull back or, or when to move forward. Um, so with that, Larry, uh, let's give an away mission here. Um, this is... I, I, I'm sorry, Ali. I just had this mental image of Picard and his kids in the Nexus... You see the kids playing with little DS9 figures, and then they all put it back at a <laughs> – they fold up their playsets kit, and they put a <laughs> – I'm sorry. I just <laughs> – yes, it all was a snow globe, Rick. It all was a snow globe in the Nexus. But anyway. Yes. I love uh, – I love – I love Scott's idea. Someone make a meme of Benny Hill seeing his reflection in the window of DS9. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, away mission. Let me wipe that embarrassment sweat off my forehead. Um, uh, away mission here. What was I going to give? Yes, away mission. Okay. So uh, two things to to think about here. Um, one is that idea of groupthink, and the second is this idea of psychological flexibility. So... Um, in fact, one of them has just been mentioned in the comments, what, what I want to encourage people to do. So if you find yourself in a groupthink kind of situation where you might feel pressure, um, a good example right now might be what, uh, this is something I've struggled with when friends and family have said, Hey, we'd love to have you over. Do you want to come hang out? We really miss seeing you. And my immediate thought has been, I don't feel ready for this. Um, I don't feel ready because for me, me, I have a young daughter who is a little unpredictable, what she might touch and sneeze on and things like that. I also, uh, my daughter has grandparents who are a bit more vulnerable. So my values right now, my value of, of safety for my family and um, uh, relatives... Survival. Yes, it's, it's much higher. But, but again, Larry, if I didn't have a child and if I didn't have to worry about that child's relationship with, um, elders who are more vulnerable, I'd, I'd probably make different decisions. I could social distance. I would feel a bit more comfortable. So there's been, there's been these times where I felt that pressure from other people. Mm -hmm. So if you feel pressure from a group, um, I want you to remember <laughs> that if you speak up, 
it does make it easier for other people to speak up as well. And I know it's hard to know what do I say in that situation? When do I know if I should cross that line? And it, it comes back to your values. So if you don't have a good idea of what your values are, because they change. <laughs> if you don't have any values. Then right. you're <laughs> if you don't have any values, watch more Star Trek. Learn about Idic. Um, yeah. You will you will develop some values there. But um, if you're unsure of what your values are, there's a great exercise. Um, and many of us are unsure because um, th- this goes back to the top of the hour, Larry, the new normal. Like things are changing. You know, we don't know what the situation is right now. So um, I encourage you to do this. Number one, I want you to imagine that is it, it is your 100th birthday. All your closest friends and family are there. They are sharing stories about you, their favorite memories about you, uh, the moments that really stick out in their mind. And I want you to think about what are those stories that they are sharing? What are the examples that they are sharing? If you do this, if you really do this, and we don't have the time to do this because we want to get to Q&A too. Right. But if we really had the time to go through this exercise, it would reveal the things that are really important to you, the things that you value right now. Then, armed with that, you can make decisions about how to move, how to move forward in your life. Like, what are your values? For example, for me, my value of safety for my family has skyrocketed in these last few months. That was not something, Larry, I thought much about. You were so careless. You were so, <laughs> so such a risk taker. Compared to now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Compared to where I am now, I was much more... Um, I approached a lot more risk than I do now. Um, hey, everybody, look. It's a home plutonium kit. Let's have fun. <laughs> Let's rub it on our face. Um, but, uh, you know, trying new things and, and um, saying yes to get-togethers before thinking about it was something that I would I would always do before. But so my, that's one value that's really changed for me. And um, I'm sure the same is true for you, Larry. Like, values have changed over these last few months. So um, be armed with those values. And when you I, find... You, know, probably, you say you're saying values, and that's true. That's the underlying core. But you could say just priorities. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be as life-changing yep. as a value. But you see things through in a new light because the priorities have changed. This, the stakes, and you know, as a good actor would say, the stakes are different now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, when you're dealing with getting back to the title here, Emotions versus Logic in Uncertain Times values or if you want to call them priority or you know your your mission if you want um if if we want to get back to star trek here um they are the um they're the compass that will guide you through the disarray of emotions and logic in uncertain times. There are the things that will ground you and help you to make decisions about how to move forward. It's what Worf learned when he was talking to Odo about the value of security and how that's expressed on Deep Space Nine versus the Enterprise. It's not about doing things X, Y, Z. It's about these values. So that's away mission number one. But I have two away missions here, folks. The other thing, getting back to Worf, is this idea of flexibility. 
So how do you get unstuck with thoughts? How does Worf get unstuck with um, how uh, how to be a security officer uh, and the ideas he has in his mind? In that moment, Worf kind of pokes fun at his mission record, and Worf sees it in a completely new light, right? He gets unstuck with Odo. the ideas. Odo pokes fun. Odo, who did I say? You said Worf, but that's okay. What is wrong with me today, folks? At least you didn't say Benny Hill is poking At, at least I didn't. Gosh, that would have been really bad. Um, so Odo helps him to see it in a new light. And so there's a few different ways that we can do that. Um, so number one, if you find yourself really struggling with a certain situation, like, for example, what does safety mean in this unsafe world? Um, this gets back to, I think, our first or second episode where I talked about journaling and how you can journal for 20 minutes a day for four days a week to kind of get unstuck um, uh, with the idea. But there's other ways to do it as well. Um, I think it was it Scott that mentioned making a meme. So I love that. Um, sometimes, no joke, Larry, when I get stuck with certain thoughts and when they're, when they're fused in my mind, um, I might turn them into a meme or more likely, I might find memes related to that thought that I'm stuck with. Because what that does is is it helps you to see that thought in a new light. It helps you to change your relationship to that thought. Um, so finding memes related to the thing you're struggling with is a great way forward. Um, Stephen Hayes is a psychologist who developed that treatment that I referred to earlier, acceptance commitment therapy. One of the things he talks about is, can you approach your thoughts in the way a comedian would, sort of making light of them and, and, and um, uh, kind of making fun of them? That can help you to get unstuck with them another thing to consider is can you sing them out loud can you um can you can you give them a voice like doing little things to approach them in a new way can help us to be more flexible and it sounds silly and it sounds kind of like frou-frou and all that sort of stuff but um it whatever works for you to change that relationship is something that is super important when you're in uncertain times to be more flexible and to move it's forward. a it's a it's a neural or emotional reset button it's yeah. a yeah did you it's, freeze up uh if nothing else try uh, plugging and replug <laughs> try on off try you know whatever that that's uh, that's a great way to think about it refresh it's not quite as extreme as an on off but yeah yeah, it's that's a really great way to think about it. And it's something that a lot of um, people who are involved in design and all of that kind of stuff, um, if you feel stuck in your project, they'll do things like this to get unstuck, to approach the problem in a new way, to see it in a new light. Um, and uh, yeah. That is uh, that is the away mission, folks. Um, yeah. So with that... I Let's go to Hailing Freak. I've been keeping an eye on the chat because one thing I want to say, a shout out. We've got Linda and we've got Jaylen Bullock. Both were are in, both are nurses. Uh, so shout out to you guys. I wanted to say that early on. Uh, speaking of risk is our business, uh, which Cairo brought up. Yes, there's risk is our business and there's an element of risk and there's the time to take risk and all that. But when there's no need to take unneeded risks, that that could be. Uh, folly too. But now there's a point here also not to run through four at once, but I want to make sure and get this out. Dan is, is talking about if our topic is emotion versus logic uh, in decision making, you know, in uncertain times facing new situations. He said, I have you guys really talked that much about emotion? So I just want to clarify mm -hmm. when we talk about um, when we talk about Decker being so wrapped up in his obsessive 
need to redeem himself to to avenge yeah that was kind of emotional and it's like when you're when you're um what i don't know what the psych terms are your endorphins are flooding i don't know what it is but when <laughs> the emotion of groupthink happens that kind of stampedes and takes over individual rational thought the way we were talking about trying to be it's hard to be the lone voice that sticks up for something you know you might ultimately be wrong but at least you get an airing at least you get the floor to throw it out there and then maybe if a second person maybe there is no right wrong maybe it's purely a matter of majority minority decision but at least to take an airing, to at least get something considered by the group, whether it's your family and you're debating what to do, or it's your work group or your party group, or it's your entire country, you know, um, your entire globe. Uh, but ha- at least letting the idea get out there. And you said having at least one ally suddenly makes it not near as lonely a task. But yeah, I think we're talking about emotions here, uh, all kinds of self what do you say? Self-preservation motivations taking over and getting out of control. The point is overruling rationality. And may I say, we've had an entire topic here about emotion versus logic and not once brought up Spock. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. is something for a Star Trek show. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. When we think about emotions versus logic, I, I think we've seen um, two – We've seen this play out in the conversation. So emotions is sort of um, emotions are super helpful in uh, in galvanizing your body to quickly change and react to the present situation you're in. That's why we have emotions. Primal, they, almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, emotions help us. They keep us safe. They they quick they snap you out of the situation you're in and help you to respond immediately. But emotions are um, they are very immediate and the more logical side, the analytical side about how things should be and kind of planning is wonderful until it um, it gets you stuck. And um, ideas of how things have to be and inflexibility and all of that sort of stuff is is something we've been talking about there. And the, the path forward is really about clarifying what your values are, what your priorities are, what's your mission, and how do you move forward with that mission flexibly? That's that's really what we wanted to get across today is those are the two skills that are probably the most helpful when we think about the new normal is what's important to you right now and how can you move forward with that in a flexible way. That's what's going to help us to navigate all this sort of stuff. Larry, we have a long-time viewer here um, who wants to uh, – a long-time member of the life support community who wants to join our conversation. Oh, um, oh Skype. I'm going yes. to um, bring this person on board. Let's see. Um, I don't I don't think we know him very well, um, but let's, let's bring him on board um, and see – going to happen here <laughs> you totally suckered me hey man hey you you look like you're in front of a the the budget set for for uh <laughs> let's make a deal behind you door number one door number two or door number three yeah yep this is uh my room <laughs> everyone this is my nephew steven um and uh, he's like New dad again, just recently. He had a son, a new son in the middle of the East Coast. So, talk about. Yeah, everything. So, it's great yeah. to see you, man. Um, 
So what brings yeah. you to us? <laughs> am, I, am I on screen? I don't know. Um, there you are. Um, yes. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. I'm looking at your image. But yes, you're very much a yeah. third. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, we this week are talking about emotions versus logic in uh, uncertain times, right? Um, and I, like you said, I'm you know a recent father, um, and part of the Star Trek world is the military side. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that goes into military thinking, you know, and, and things like the missions you guys have brought up. I always think of, um, you know, we have the saying like uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Right. Um, <laughs> and and same happens. The same thing happens with uh, like the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, the army is very structured. We have should mention to everybody that you're out of uniform, but you're much yeah. a member of the service. Yes. Yes. I've um, been in for over 10 years uh, for everyone. Um, and let me actually, I have my YouTube muted. So let me try to unmute that. Or let me. We're hearing you pretty. We're, pre- we're hearing you well. You sound good. You look and yeah. sound good as far as yeah. image. Okay. okay. So, so yeah, the army has all this structure in the same with Star Trek. Um, one thing I've noticed watching Star Trek is the lack of paperwork, the lack of <laughs> process, um, you know, and uh, I, I find that very funny. Um, I actually brought a prop here, something to show. Um, you prepared. For me, yeah, for me to just transfer bases, go somewhere else, I need orders, right? There's four pages here. Um and I think everything is funny. It, there's so many things that govern just me moving from one base to another. And I'll give you an example that shows how complicated things for like time during Corona can be. In the orders. Oh my God. So this governs how much, uh, actually this is just rules on what kind of dog you can have. Wow. At the base you're moving to. Okay. What kind of dog? All of that uh, just tells you what kind of dog you can have. So not, this is nothing classified, right? No, no, no. <laughs> because we have people um, with HD cameras who can take that in a second, and <laughs> just, just stop. So, um, so yeah, it's it's things like that where you know it gets complicated where um, you have all this structure, and then something like coronavirus happens, right? Um, there's the original group think because. You know, groupthink in the army as a whole, I think, is necessary as a whole um, because you can't have over a million different, you know, views trying to write up, you know, orders, right? I can't have a million people telling me what kind of dog. Um, so that's big picture. But um, whenever it comes down to the coronavirus and then, uh, say, you know, me uh, coming uh, and having a new child, right? Mm-hmm. I am stationed away from my family. Uh, they're on the East Coast. I'm um, in uh, the Midwest. And for the Army, they, you know, they put in some very good rules, uh, very good uh, quarantine procedure. It happened very fast. However, you know, it was a group think, um, and it wasn't based for the individual, which is good. Um, there's good. Uh, times to use that structure. But whenever it comes to like individual cases, 
you know, this is where that emotions versus logic in uncertain times comes in. Uh, me, as an individual, mm-hmm. I wanted to voice my um, opinions on me not being able to go more than 30 miles away from base. Mm. I'm stationed away from them. Obviously, I want to have yeah. time to go uh, for the delivery and paternity leave, right? Paternity leave is a thing in the Army. Um, and, uh, you know, they they got it to me. But during the time of a pandemic, it took about a month for them to say, yes, you can go on paternity leave. Now, that's a big amount of time to be uncertain about whether or not you're going to be able to see the birth of your child, right? Mm. Uh, so I, I just thought it was funny. Uh, we, we have that uncertainty. Um, but could you imagine if on like Enterprise or any of those, if they had to go to the Federation for any individual um, request? Because my request wasn't up to my commander. It wasn't up to his commander. It was up to their commander, right? So Imagine every little decision being made. Yeah. You know, have to go to the Federation. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it's one of those things where obviously my commander would want to say yes immediately. Um, everybody supported it. They all understood. But it's one of those things where, um, you know, imagine uh, for me watching the show as a military person, uh, it's just funny. You don't see the process that usually happens. Mm. Uh, you know, you that's don't... what they have all those really huge pads for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the orders wouldn't fit on a little, you know, little handy dandy red pad for Jordy. It would be the huge mega thing that you only got in movies when you had a budget big enough to make huge pads, which right. actually make no sense. But yeah, right. And you know, you you spoke about values versus uh, priorities. And, you know, the army actually has. Um, you know, they indoctrinate you. They, they give you this set of values that the Army has. And it it's helpful for, um, you know, creating one mass group with a common mm-hmm. mindset. You yeah, all get and, you're all they, in the same direction. Right. They're, they're good. I have a, a cheat sheet over here. So loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. Right. And they cleverly made it to where it spells leadership. <laughs> uh, Army loves acronyms, right? So, um, you know, we noted there's a difference between values and priorities. So of all those values, you know, my duty says, you know, stay on the mission. Um, uh, selfless service, you know, it's not me, it's the group. Um, however, priorities, family was a priority, right? And, um, you know, and the, another thing the Army gives us that we also spoke about was the psychological flexibility. Being able to uh, deal with issues like, you know, the possibility of, you know, stay here on mission, don't leave. Um, and I know it's very tough, um, especially like my wife. She's, you know, was asking every day, like, are you able to come home? And, uh, you know, she was questioning, like, why aren't you as upset as I am that you don't have an answer yet? Um, and, you know, I had that psychological flexibility of, I'm used to the wait uh, to get an answer. Um, and, you know, that that's just one of the things that military does deal with. Um, and, you know, it's one of the things that you also see in the show is that flexibility. Um, and you have that rank structure. You know, I have to follow the chain of command. Um, and it 
it really is a real thing where, you know, you would expect someone to, you know, act out against protocol. Um, however, there is, you know, that set, uh, that set of rules that you must follow. Steven, there's so much that you have said that I mm -hmm. want to have conversations with you about. Um, uh, there, there's so much. Um, uh, things I'm going to echo from... So there you go. Our new co-host on Life Support yeah. Live. We want to spring it on you as a surprise. I'm always happy yeah. to have another Nemechek That's on the awesome. show. Because yeah. I, like, I like the one we have right now. Um, I'm happy to bring on another one. Um, a couple of things I want to just echo from the chat. Um, you might not be able to see it. Um, um, folks are thanking you for your service so th and from me to thank you for your service um to our country and congratulations also on being a new dad um i know sometimes i i complain about some of the challenges of being a parent and at the same time it's the most amazing thing that's happened to me in my life so um uh congratulations on beginning this uh this new journey into this uh, and, and to boldly going into a very strange new world um but there's uh, we could have a whole conversation about Star Trek and the military and service because there's so many great examples of serving a larger purpose. I think Wrath of Khan comes to mind as a wonderful example uh, that a lot of folks in the military have cited to me about um, what, what a great example it is of serving a, a larger mission. And one of the things that I, a, a little, a literal example. The needs of the many there. Yeah. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. Um, one of the examples that I give people actually about psychological flexibility, Stephen, comes from the military. So when you are giving, um, when you're receiving or giving orders in the military, you don't have, uh, when you're going on a mission, um, and this is often in combat situations, the, the mission orders are not, okay, we want you to first do this, and then you're going to do this, and then this, and then make sure you do that, and then that. It's usually our mission is to get to that hill. We need to secure that hill. And the mission is simple enough that everyone can remember it, and it gives you flexibility because, as you said, no plan survives. Uh, what, what did you? How'd you word it, Stephen? First no, contact. First contact. Yeah, first contact with it's the a very. It's a very army term, Ali. I wouldn't expect yeah. you to have ever heard that term before. <laughs> well, the first contact part stuck out of my mind. I should have remembered. <laughs> uh, that's the part I remembered. Um, but. Um, you have to have flexibility with that mission because you never know what you're going to encounter. And that's advice I give to people all the time is how do we have a simple enough mission that also allows you to be flexible with the unknowns that you're going to encounter. So I think that's that's a beautiful example that you shared with us. Well, and that all reflects on our whole topic today, getting back to square one, which was uh, Jared's original idea thrown out in the chat. We put it in the vote, adjusting to a new normal, which on the surface we all get. Yeah. We all feel like – but if if the second thought besides adjusting to a new normal is, oh, boy, I totally get it. I'm adjusting to a new normal every day. It's like <laughs> – well, then it's not really a new normal. It's more like we're adjusting to new phases of normal getting to something else. And so, again, that's where we evolved. After a lot of discussion, we, have, we evolved that topic, Jared, 
into what we came up with because it's about as we get there, what's determining our success. And we look around the country and we look around the world at seeing people's adaptation to – and I should just say here, not just the COVID virus, the coronavirus slash COVID-19 disease because that's the difference – it's adapting to the fact that maybe we're overdue to be adapting in some of our social mores. We've got all the racial injustice bubbling up now that I think maybe that Band-Aid was loosened a little bit by Corona. I mean, I think some of the upheaval that we're – it's like World War II, uh, the Great Depression. Name a social, name an upheaval that happens for one reason and all the echoes and ripples that spin out for that for good and bad, Right. And uh, we're seeing that right now. So I would even say your flexibility and adapting to some of these changes that people are pointing out now on the social order with racial justice and equality and even social justice. And some of this is the, there are a lot of well-meaning people that are just going along trying to take care of their family, trying to get food on the table. And these big picture ideas, it's part of the culture. And sometimes it takes an upheaval. It's not shouldn't be in the front. Some people are are very much, you know, their status quo is wrapped up in their change and their, you know, you pull one thread out of their own tapestry and they may feel <laughs> like they fall, they fall apart versus just having, having, um, what, Tembla, his eyes open. I forget which Tamarian person it was. It's not Shaka. That's the walls fell, but having your eyes opened and a lot of well-meaning people have had their eyes opened. So this, you know, this, this thing about logic and emotion versus an, uh, uncertain times. Uncertainty doesn't have to be something beyond your control. The uncertainty could just be going into a new mental state, a new a place in your own mind where you even – maybe you're in, in favor of going there, but you still know it's going to be rough because everything you know is being challenged and how are you going to react to it emotionally. Not to go off on a totally new tangent here, and we've talked about prejudice and we've talked about gatekeeping in past episodes – but it just seems to me that part of this uncertain times is not just the corona. It's the, un, you know, it's the pinging of all, and then the economic uncertainty that all of that has brought. So, right. If know. I, if I may speak to, yeah. uh, if I may speak to the, uh, the, the bias and the prejudice. Yes. You there in front of the second door. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I, I wanted to hop in, um, a couple episodes we had the, the bias and prejudice, um, episode. And, you know, I've talked to you, Uncle Larry, about, you know, things that are very progressive in the military. Uh, I do um, feel very highly of the military and the way we treat uh, the different peoples that we have. We have all kinds of backgrounds uh, coming to us and we are one team. Um, I feel very happy serving with everyone I serve with. Um, there's no group of people that has, you know, there's a bias against, I feel, I, I feel we are a very merit-based organization, which is important. Um, and, and I feel like that's how, you know, I wish society would think of everything. There's so many things that every group has done for humanity. Um, and I'm very happy that we're a merit-based group. Uh, and then, you know, it's just one of those, um, things that I felt very strongly about whenever you guys were talking about it that I was happy about the way the Army deals with um, issues like that. Uh, right now, currently, they're actually, because of um, what's going on now, they, the Army for promotions, they usually have you attach a photo with your file 
um, for the higher ranks. Um, so if you're trying to um, gain a higher rank in you know the officer corps or whatever, they usually have you put a photo. They're nixing that because of the uh, to eliminate any kind of bias that may happen or the appearance of any bias. And I, I think that's a great step. Um, you know, you're not judging someone on their look, not what's on that picture in that file. You're looking at the merits that are in the file. And I, I, I like that. Um, and, you know, there's so much I could talk about with the Army. Um, you know, Star Trek obviously has that that same thing. You have people from all over the galaxy, right? And, uh, and, and they all have a role to play. Um, and it's great. And you see that in the military. Everyone has a role to play no matter where they come from. And I think, Stephen, you mentioned earlier groupthink and groupthink being necessary here in these large organizations. Uh, one of the things that one of the ways in which the military reflects um, Star Trek is up top, whether with um, in Star Trek, you have the Admiralty in the army, you have you have your generals um, and Navy, you have, you know, your your admirals and going up top, you have um, all the senior leadership in the Pentagon. Um very much so dissenting voices are encouraged in those rooms whenever yes. there's any operation. The goal of those discussions is to think about everything that could go wrong. How can this plan fail? Let's think about all the different consequences. Um, it, it's the, the military does not function in a way where you have uh, the senior leadership in the military advocating for one one point of view. Um, the modern military is one in which they really um, approach these things in, in much the same way that our captains do. And we had a great comment here. Here, um, Stephen, I don't know if you're a fan of Star Trek Enterprise, but uh, people were talking about Admiral Forrest and um, <laughs> Captain Archer and Admiral Forrest being stuck on Earth and having no idea and being so out of touch with the reality of yeah. the challenges that uh, Captain Archer was dealing with. We see Kirk um, in the original series. There's no subspace. He doesn't really have that connection with admirals. He kind of needs to figure things out himself. We see Picard struggle with that connection so you know it's um i think there's a lot of parallels here between um the army um the other mm -hmm. armed forces and star trek and the the peacekeeping armada that is Starfleet, yeah. whatever that means <laughs> yeah, and I, I would like to point out that that the group thing is for you know like my prop it's it's for the big things it's for yeah. the common things that everyone has to deal with um, it, the group think isn't encouraged actually. Um, you know, we don't have, we don't like to call them briefings, you know, they're sync meetings. Everyone has a say. It's not me droning in front of a crowd, um, saying, you know, this is doctrine, uh, and you know, you must do it this way. There are certain things that are proven, uh, that work tactics and strategy things like that. However, um, every uh, conflict is different. So the, the idea of groupthink on the lower level um, is discouraged. You know, um, we are not a fan of groupthink at the smaller levels. It's very much, we like to call them sync meetings, yeah. not a briefing. Uh, and it, it just, if you actually do have a group of thinkers and it's, you know, it, it works great. And I, I wanted to point that out, you know, that you see the big picture and then 
that comes from a much smaller picture. Yeah. yeah. It also shows the value of words. Hey, can I just take a little moment of personal privilege here, Mr. Speaker, and say, so Stephen, I, you know, this is like kind of floated around. We didn't exactly, after you were, you know, we had a lot of distance between us as you grew up. So where did your Star Trek fandom come from? I can't believe I've never got a chance to ask you this. I want to know this answer um, too. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I think I heard about it from a family member. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think I. I, think I just I feel like I didn't, wouldn't have had a lot of more influence on you picking this up. So I, that's what I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. I I, I grew up, um, you know, in in dad's house. You know, there were these books on the bookshelves. Uh, had colorful covers, uh, you know, and man, that name on the book. Really looked familiar, so I was I was interested. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. So yeah, I could I could uh, safely say it came from family interest. Now, if you're um, saying I'm not too much into the fandom, right? Uh, I I just like watching the show and and I see the values in the show. And I've I've talked about this um, life support live. In my office, actually, mm. um, I've, I've told people, you know, hey, there's this show happening. Um, and if you're a Star Trek fan, which there's a lot in the military, um, they grew up with it with their parents or um, they show their children. Um, they they all support Star Trek. So even even though, it, you know, you got me interested, it is a good show for especially military to they see that same structure. Uh, and they see the values, right? Um, the values shine through the episodes. They're hidden. Uh, but I think all of our missions, you know, all our missions have a value as well. We have peacekeeping missions throughout the world. Uh, you know, we deliver safe routes uh, for, you know, humanitarian aid to get through. There's so much more than the weapon in a military mission. Saying, you know, we see in Star Trek, there's so many humanitarian Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen, if I may ask you, thank you. Follow, I never thought to ask you, so okay, that's cool. I if, just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious, and and then we'll let you go. I know, I know, you probably have to go too. Um, but I, I've got a, a question too. Um, as someone who um both grew up with a lot of exposure to Star Trek as well as someone who's kind of discovered it um through his own and and what what Star Trek means to you um have you watched uh, Star Trek uh, uh uh Deep Space 9 because Deep Space you know Deep Space 9 is probably the show that most explores uh combat and I think Star Trek The Next Generation more explores the peacekeeping missions. Um, yes. So uh, have you have you explored both of those series? Because I've always found they both work so well And together. Voyager best explores the idea of shit hits the fan on everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Deep Space Nine, I haven't watched so much as Next Generation. Yeah. Um, like you said, Next Generation does, you know, mm. do more of the humanitarian part. So... Um, yeah, I have, like I said, not too big into the fandom. I haven't dug deep into Star Trek. I've just been exposed and I see it for what it is and it's, you know, goodness. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate next generation. Uh, I think yeah. the most. Yeah. Um, 
Wonderful. And um, one one piece of advice, if I can give you, to, if I can be an honorary uncle for a moment, Stephen, is um, get your um, as a parent. I think it's um, what I would recommend is um, get your child a plush Star Trek Enterprise. Um, uh, <laughs> have it there in the room. They will eventually play with it, and then you can tell them that's the Enterprise. And then over time, you never know what that little uh, Trojan horse approach might play out later in their life. But I think we all need a little Star Trek on the bookshelf or a little plush toy that um, makes this a part of the conversation. So that's my parent recommendation to you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks hey, for being yeah. on, Steven. Yes, thank you, man. I you totally. You. And if that was a conspiracy of <laughs> you pulled it off very well. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Yeah, thanks, we'll see thanks. you next time. Oh, Larry, that was a ton of fun. I had a ton of fun uh, doing that. How long uh, was that in the works? To just, oh, about to about thirty forty minutes. He messaged me and said, "Hey, okay. uh, you guys taking live calls?" So I thought that would be a wonderful way to to have um, have a little fun here. Um, so, uh, Larry, there's there's a lot of comments. The comments have sort of gone in yes. many different directions. Anything you wanna you wanna say as we get to that? Oh well, Stephen blew me away. It totally got me on my script. What I wanted to say was, and before I do this, if one more comment that I want to call. So Zahir had a great comment. Mm -hmm. He said, I rewatched DS9 Babel this morning. Mm. When the aphasia virus broke out, the first thing Cisco did was enact a strict quarantine with no exceptions. Almost made me tear up, <laughs> i.e. Wow. strong leadership in the face of a crisis. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>